morning, Transit Church. It's good to see everybody here. Glad that you're able to come out and worship with us this morning. As Jeff said, I'm John Scott. I'll be uh, finishing up John 17 this morning, which has kind of been a three-week mini-series within the, the series of John. So uh, hopefully everyone will get something good out of, out of God's Word this morning. I know I got a lot of good out of it when I was preparing. So before I get started, I would ask that, uh, that we just briefly uh, join me in prayer. Uh, Father God, thank you for this day. Thank, thank you for all of your gifts. Thank you that we could be together um, as a church body, as friends and family, as those who know each other, as those who are getting to know each other, Father God. Father, thank you that we can, can represent so much of what you indeed talked about in this scripture that we're going to look at this morning. So, Father, I ask that as we uh, hear your word together, that by your spirit you would speak to each one of us, that you would speak directly into the heart of each person who hears this message, uh, something that you have uniquely for each of us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So, again, this is the, the part three of the three-part miniseries on John 17. And this, in some of your Bibles, or if you hear some people teach this, they refer to John 17 as Jesus's high priestly prayer. It's a prayer of, of intercession. There's a lot more to it. It's one prayer, but it has three subdivisions. So in week one, we looked at the beginning, which is where Jesus prays for himself. He's in communion with God, talking about the glory that God has given him and thanking God um, for, for all that, that he has done. In week two, we looked at Jesus praying for his disciples, those 11 that were there with him as he as he made that journey uh, from the, the Last Supper all the way to the garden. There are those who, who are with him because at that point, Judas has gone to do what he's going to do. But Jesus is with his disciples. And then this week, the third and final week, we're going to look at the fact that Jesus prays for you and me. He expands that prayer. So everything he said above, he includes you and I in all that as well. And while each one of these sections is, is clearly distinct, it's easy to read through it and see the three divisions. Uh, each section also shares common themes. Each section refers to God's glory. Jesus over and over and over refers to God's glory. He refers to the glory that they share together. And he refers to the glory in which we can all enter as well. Each section refers to God being revealed or the mission that Jesus had to come and reveal the father to us. He came to reveal the father to those in that day and then left a legacy which would be carried on that comes down to us today and will carry on beyond us. So each section talks about God being revealed and each section talks about unity, whether it's the unity of God himself or unity with Christ and the people to whom he ministers or the unity of, of the entire church. Each section has that theme as well. So God's glory, God revealed and unity. And this prayer, it pulls back the, the curtain a little bit on Jesus's relationship with with the father. Now. In John, chapter 11, um, verses 41 and 42, Jesus says something at the, at the resurrection of Lazarus that, that also applies here. 
In verse 41, he says, so they took away the stone. Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe you sent me. So this prayer here in John 17, I would imagine that the setting is that the Jesus and the disciples are on the way to the Garden of Gethsemane. They're not they're not there yet. And he has been teaching since John chapter 13, teaching all the way through. At the end of John chapter 14, they get up and walk outside and he's continuing to talk. And after he delivers that message, he closes with this prayer out loud so they can hear. So this is prayed for the disciples benefit and it's then recorded for our benefit. So this is Jesus in that perfect union with the Father, which didn't need words, but he decided to pray this in words. Uh, so I encourage you to go back through, um, you know, this week, this coming week, and read starting in John chapter 13 all the way to John 17. Try to read it in, in one sitting, and you can see how the themes just weave together and how this is a perfect closing prayer uh, to that section. So, Jesus is letting his disciples in, and because it's recorded, he's letting us into the relationship that he has with God. We see Jesus's love for the Father through what he prays. We see his obedience. He talks about how those that you've given me and how he's taken care of them and how he's made his name known. And we see Jesus's spiritual connection and dependence on the Father. Even though Jesus is God, he's still praying. He's still being that example. He's he's still letting us see that that dependence is key in the relationship with God. So this prayer is a petition, it's intercession, it's a teaching, it's a doxology, it's a model, and so much more at the same time. There's just a lot of richness written and then also just implied and understood in this prayer. And personally, when I look at this prayer, I see the the relationship that, that I wish that I had with God. I see the relationship that hopefully I'm trying to move to, although I'll never get there, but hopefully I, I, will, I will move closer and closer to, to God in, in a relationship that, that can just get a, a small piece of this because Jesus is about to be betrayed and arrested. He knows this, but in the face of all this, he's so connected to God that his response is to pray and not just to pray for himself, but to pray for his disciples and to think ahead and pray to people who are not yet born. So it's really uh, an amazing relationship that that I wish and hope that I can grow closer and closer into um, myself. And I'm certain that everyone here has this like has a similar desire in all that we do, all that we face, uh, whether it's to stand up in the face of adversity or be filled with supernatural joy and hope or to fulfill some greater purpose in life, or just a combination of all that and more. Each of you, I think, also realizes that that this type of relationship, the type of relationship that we see Jesus modeling here, is is a key to getting there, to achieving that place where we want to be, that that peace that we want to have that passes all understanding. So in this final week, we see that Jesus prayed for us to have that same kind of relationship with God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So this morning we'll be looking at John 17, verses 20 through 26, and I invite you to to read with me. I do not ask for these only, 
but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may know one, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I have made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known, that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. So the main point that we see here, the focus that, that, that we get out of this portion of the scripture is that Jesus invites you and me into glorious relationship with the Father through the Spirit. Jesus invites you and me into glorious relationship with the Father through the Spirit. So even though in John 17, the Spirit is not expressly mentioned, that is that that is that he is represented in that in that union, in that unity, that that supernatural connection and glorious relationship that Jesus invites us into. So have to look at a couple things um, as we go. Now, first of all, is glory. Jeff Jeff talked about this uh, in week one and put up a, a definition for glory that I want us to look at again. He summed it up like this. God's infinite worth, beauty greatness and goodness. This is what Jesus is referring to when he's talking about God's glory, when he's saying that he shared that glory with us, that that he's glorified and that he's glorified God. Uh, And Jeff also mentioned that the mission of God is to glorify God. That's what Jesus came on earth to do, was to glorify God. And if this was on a human level, It'd be kind of it'd be kind of strange, but it's not on a human level, because as as we give glory to God and as Jesus glorifies God, we're invited into something very, very special. And we actually glorify God to to our own benefit. We glorify God to our own benefit, because in as much as we enter into that glorious relationship, that's where we're saved. That is salvation as we enter into that relationship with God. Glory is given and displayed in the relationship with God. The level of relationship we have with God displays, it reflects that glory. And there are many aspects to God's glory in the day. I want to look at just just a few that, that we see here in this passage. So we've got four aspects of God's glory, the first of which is unity. First of which is unity. So we look at uh, John, we'll look at uh, verses 20 through 22. Jesus opens this section. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, 
that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. So it's a reflection of that unity in several different aspects. First of all, that he would include those who would follow afterwards because he's physically walking with his disciples. And as he's having this prayer that they're listening to, that's summarizing the things that he teaches, he includes all who are going to believe through their word. So through that ministry that he's given them of evangelism, of teaching, of making disciples, he's praying for everyone who is going to come afterwards. So unity. And unity is the key to the door to the door of faith. He talks about that the world may believe that because of this unity, because Jesus is in the Father and because Jesus is in us, this is all so that the world will believe that God sent Jesus, so that they will believe in the message that he has. So unity unlocks that door to faith. It's a testimony. It opens people's eyes. It opens people's hearts uh, to the message that Jesus is, is delivering. And unity is also the link to glory. The glory that you have given me, I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one. Entering into that oneness is another aspect of that glory. That's how this glory is different than any human glory, because if I'm taking glory as, as John Scott, I'm likely taking glory onto myself. I'm trying to take credit for something that I've done, something that I've thought of, some help that I've given someone. But in God, it's not that way. In God, that glory is reflected in the gift of himself that he gives for our benefit, that he gives so that we can live. Earlier in the verse, it talks about, or earlier in the chapter, I mean, it talks about um, that eternal life is knowing God. So by glorifying him, we actually receive the gift of eternal life, hope for something beyond this life, something to share with others, something in which others can enter into. So unity is one of the aspects of God's glory. The second aspect of God's glory is, is this mission to, to make him known, the mission to, to reveal God. Looking now at verse 23. I and them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one again, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Everything comes back to everything that Jesus is doing, everything that he is saying is coming back to humankind, to mankind, being able to enter into that relationship with God, part of that glory, something to share. I'm going to give up the, the glory that, that I once had as the creator at the right hand of God, come down to earth as a person, live through that life, suffer all of those real sufferings in order that those who I walk with can benefit from it. That's, that is Jesus' mission. That's what he does. That's the mission 
that he that he's passed along to us. And the key there being so that the world may know so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. There's a love there that that Jesus wants us to understand a love there that can break down the barriers in our own heart, a love there that surpasses understanding. And as he carries out that mission, he's glorifying God. That's his mission is to point us back to the father. So unity, mission, and then a third aspect is is name. Now, you'll actually see name in a lower verse, but I I put it here um, because it fits. So verse 24, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Jesus wants people to to understand. He wants us to understand in, in this life that he has a, a, a glory, an original glory, and he wants us to see it in the future, that they may also be where I am. He wants us to, to witness that with him in the future in heaven, but to see his original glory. And his original glory is seen in his names, and that's why I put name here, because he is the creator. In John 1, it talks about that the word was God and the word was with God, that all things were created through him. So he's the creator. He is the word. And then in Isaiah chapter 9, when it talks about that a child comes unto you and he will be called wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. So before there was the, the original advent, these names existed there. The prophet Isaiah said that this is who was coming. So even though we per- perceive him as a child born into the world, he already had these names. He was already this person that is promised because he existed before the foundation of the world. And Jesus wants us to to understand that as we're here and now to be in our minds as we go throughout every day to give us a foundation on which to live our lives. And then he prays that we will see him fully in heaven, that we see him fully there. And this is a theme that he also talks about in uh, John chapter 14, where he says that his father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? Because he wants us to be also with him where he is. So the name. So unity, mission, name, and then finally, love. The last two verses, 25 and 26. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you. And these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Jesus reveals God to the world. He reveals these aspects of glory. He reveals God's character. Simply by by his coming, he reveals God's concern for the well-being of of the people that he created. Sets sets the tone. 
Jesus reveals God that believers will be filled with God's perfect love because we love because he first loved us and God is love. So this is this is a, a key component. And this isn't an, an, an emotional love. This is love in action. We've, we've talked about this before. If you've been to a church one other time other than, than today, you've probably heard somebody say something like that. But the love of God we see throughout, throughout all, these, all these pages, all, all in context. We see it in, in our lives. We see it in just in creation, just as, just as the psalmist says. We see God's love in action. So Jesus came to reveal God's glory to mankind. And he also came to invite us to share in that glory as well. It's not a, a secret or something we can behold from a distance. He wants to be in us by the Spirit, even as he is in perfect unity with God. Jesus accomplished this through love and obedience to his love for and his obedience to God by humbling himself and coming here, by, by carrying out all the difficult actions that would, that would take place through his ministry. We share in God's glory as we love and obey Christ. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And as we continue on mission and as our unity serves as a testimony, as we're united with God in Christ by the Spirit and also as we're united with one another. So what does this glorious relationship actually look like? Again, just a few, but look at four evidences of your glorious relationship with God. We'll just look at four. There's, there's much, much more, but these are kind of four basic things which my life, which your life should reflect in order to, to, to know, in order to, to evidence, in order to witness to the world that we are entering into that glorious relationship with God. So the first thing is God's Transcendence, transcendence, God's incomprehensible nature. I like transcendence, a big, big word. I only know a couple. That, that's one of them. But I learned it in seminary, so I've only learned it. I've only known it for a little while. God's incomprehensible nature. Now, I don't want to offend anybody, but I will say this. Jesus is not my homeboy. And Jesus is not your homeboy either. Now, that's not to say that, that God is not distant because God cares. God's ever present. God wants to be in a relationship with each and every one of us. But God is still God. And we need to keep that in the front of our minds. We need to keep that in the top of our hearts. We need to, to, to come to that, to that realization that God is still God. He's still incomprehensible. We can't put together uh, a list of words. We can't put together math formulas. We can't put together logic formulas that will make God into something that we can easily understand, sit on a shelf. That's why so many times in the Old Testament, God talks about these gods of wood and stone that are made with hands aren't gods because God is incomprehensible. We can learn, we can grow, and, and we can continue, but God is still God. 
So even though he, he loves us and wants to be close to us, I can't reduce him down to just being one of the dudes that I hang out with. One, one of the cool guys at work that I like to uh, text back and forth about football with. You know, God, God is not that. If I look at my, at my own life, my, my father, you know, I called my father dad. I called him daddy, the, the, you know, all the very familiar words. My own kids call me daddy. We laugh. We joke together. We, we hang out. Uh, you know, we, we are close. And there's not, there's not a, a barrier there. However, there's no doubt in my mind who my father was. And there's no doubt in my kids' minds what I represent as their dad. And there's also no doubt to me by, by having that title dad that there's certain things that I have to bring to the table as well. And that's a very, 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 very small, insignificant illustration of how amazing God, the Father, actually is. God's incomprehensible nature, his transcendence, that helps us to, to stay humble when things are good. So our lives should re- reflect that. Your life should reflect that. A humility when things are going well. When, when, when everything is just 77 degrees, sunny, with a nice gentle breeze, you know, the leaves are green and all that. We want to be humble. We want to know that that's a gift. That's not something that we earn. That is a gift. Also, understanding God's incomprehensible nature gives us hope in trials. That's part of that mission as well, that trials may come, but Jesus has gone to prepare a place for us, and he's given us that promise. So that gives us a hope. And it's not that we're looking forward, hey, this is tough, just take me into heaven. No, it's not that, but that, that these trials are a chance to exercise our faith and to actually see God's transcendence. Because in my own life, when I get on the other side of those trials, which I wish never happened, if I had it all to do over again, I'd do something different to try to avoid it. But when it's over and I'm still here and my family's still here and my faith is still intact, that's a testimony back to myself. And as you do that, that's a testimony to you and to those who witness that trial along with you. So God's transcendence. The next, the next evidences, evidences of this glorious relationship is teaching, us teaching, teaching from word-based truth. Not, not, not opinions. We're teaching facts. We want to, if we don't know, we want to go, we want to go find the answer, whether that's through looking in the Bible or finding someone who maybe has a little bit more knowledge, but there's a value that we have in, in teaching and modeling the actual truth of God that's founded in his word. Teaching also involves learning. As we want to learn more, as we challenge our own understanding, it's an evidence that we're, that we're wanting to enter deeper and deeper into that glorious relationship because we're not going to get there in this life. And that's okay. That's actually a great thing because we can stay active. We can know that there's more. We know that we've never arrived. We don't have to be satisfied. No matter how close we feel, we can get closer. So we can stay uh, vibrant in our relationship with God. So teaching involves learning. And this is the, the using words part of sharing the gospel. Jeff brought up the quote last week, preach the gospel at all times and sometimes use words. 
as we as we teach, as we speak, as we allow what is what is in here to come into our hearts and to overflow out of us, that is going to be for the benefit of building up those who listen. It's also for the benefit of building us up. So as we enter into that glorious relationship, we can't help but to teach and to learn and to model and, and, and do these things on some level. So transcendence, teaching, and then third is, is fellowship, fellowship grounded in community. If you read this, read through this prayer where the Jesus wants the love that he and God have to be in us, the, Jesus wants us to model, to have, to enjoy, to thrive in that relationship similar to what he had with the Father. This is true fellowship. This is true community. God doesn't do this alone per se. We're not going to get into the whole doctrine of the Trinity, um, but there is a fellowship there between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We're not meant to do this alone. Genesis chapter 1, it's not good for man to be alone. Now, we could probably get into some, some reasons why that is that are, that are not theological, but for now, let's just settle on the fact that, that God said it, so it's true. It's not good for man to be alone. But not just man as in the male, but it's not good for us to be alone. That's what you should provide to other people is a sense of community. That's what the church should provide for, for all of us is that sense of community where we're in this together. And as, as Hebrews chapter 10 says, that as times get tougher, we need to fellowship and gather more and more. In trials, we go through them together. We bear one another's burdens. We lift each other up. Uh, a scripture that I like to use at weddings in, in Ecclesiastes uh, that, that talks about if, if you're alone, how can you stay warm? If, if you're alone, when you fall, how can you get back up? The Bible is full of evidence that fellowship is, is a foundational part of entering into that relationship with God. Fellowship, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Fellowship with one another. Transcendence, teaching, fellowship, and then finally, mission. Genuine living. Genuine living. The purpose of the unity that God prays for, that Jesus prays for in this scripture is so that the world may know that you sent me. As the world knows and recognizes that Jesus is sent from God, then begin to learn and understand and and have it come inside of your spirit once you are reborn that that this is is how I, I, I enter in and I live genuinely. And then out of that relationship, the things that happen in your life become part of that mission. So this is more than than keeping it real, because, you know, keeping it real manifests itself in, in a whole lot of different ways. Um, uh, this is just me. This is just what I do. This is this is who I am. So it's it's not that when I say genuine living, it's not just us going out and doing whatever we want to do because we were we were made that way. This is living by example. This is 
what, what Jesus is praying about here, the unity in God so that the world will know is reflected in living for God. It's reflected in obeying his commandments. It's, a, it's reflected in bearing fruit, as he talks about in John chapter 15. Again, I'll just make one more quick plug. Read it all together. I'm telling you, it is amazing. I did it. Um, I've done it before, and I did it again this morning just to, to set the mind frame and reading this together because it's all, th- this theme is just constant from John uh, 13, and you can start reading in 31 all the way through the end of, of John 17, that as we have that love in us, as we understand what Jesus did, and as we, as we grow closer to him, we can't help but live by example. We can't help it. We'll just, we'll just do it because we'll keep going back to that place. So this is living out of the overflow of the heart. That's how it becomes that example. And this is the love by which those who see you will know that you're a disciple. Going back to that 1331, when he talks about a, a new command that I give you, that you love one another, by this, the world will know that you are my disciples. That is the mission. And that is that sense of preach the gospel at all times and sometimes use words because it's reflected in our actions. It's reflected in that, that question that, that we all want to get. And I've only got it a couple times, uh, but the couple times I've gotten it's meant a lot to me is there's something different about you. What, what's going on? There's something different about how you react in these circumstances. What is that? What is that? And people who will come, come and, and tell you straight up, well, at least for me, they'll come and tell me straight up, you know, chaplain, sir, John, whatever. Um, I don't believe in God, but I want to know how, how you handle this situation. I'm having some problems right now, and I know that you're the person that I could come to to, to help me to work through some of this. And some of that is, be- is because I'm the chaplain, but I think some of that is also just because they realize not so much in what I do, but they realize that, that there's something in what I stand for that will probably be helpful to them. So the four evidences, transcendence, teaching, fellowship, and mission. These are four evidences that we are moving in, growing in, entering into that glorious relationship with God that Jesus invites us to share with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And love brings all into glorious relationship, into community with with the Father. When I say God, I'm always referring to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So Jesus reveals God's glory to us. He showed us. He showed his obedience and love to the Father, and he invites us to do the same thing. Through him, by the Holy Spirit, God is glorified by the unity of that he has in Christ. Christ glorified God by loving and obeying him and, and, and showing us that unity. God is glorified in the unity that the church has with Christ, that, that Christ came and had that mission that those that, that God has given him, that, that he has kept and saved, and the unities and the unity that believers have with one another. So in this last theme, 
unity is where that glory comes together because the purpose of that glory was to bring us back home to the father that we had had fallen away from. This unity is characterized by obedience and love. Love shown in obedience and obedience shown in love. Let's pray. God, Jesus, thank you that while we were yet sinners, that Christ died for us. Father, thank you that that you loved us when we were unlovable. Thank you that you loved us and do love us even as we run away from you. Thank you for the opportunity to enter into the glorious relationship that only you truly understand, Father. So as we leave here today, I pray that you would increase our faith, that you would help us see a little bit more, that as we look at this prayer in John chapter 17, as we look at your word, as we fellowship together, as we teach and learn and spend time in community, that you would reveal yourself to us just a little bit more. Increase our faith that we can hope in you and be your ambassadors on the earth. So, Father, thank you for each and every wonderful gift that comes from you and help us, Lord, to be your children each and every day. In Jesus' name, amen.